Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Nat Harris joins us on the line to talk about Pet Nat and Hannah Chocolat, a kind of a duo show that Nat is presenting with Hannah Camilleri as part of this year's Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Nat, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Richard. How are you going? Oh, look, I'm brain dead, but good. And I'm, yeah. I've got to say, I'm so excited to see live comedy again. Yes, kind of after the shutdown last year, that things have slowly been warming up. And during lockdown yeah. last year, for example, I watched some of the uh, some comedians streaming shows live from okay. Janet McLeod's room and so forth. But watching comedy on Zoom is just not the same as being in a room with other people laughing together and watching something live on stage. Definitely. I think the live element, being in the room, the awkwardness, seeing how other people respond is like a key ingredient to, to comedy. Definitely. Now, People will be familiar with you, Nat, uh, amongst other things, because of your kind of regular appearance on The Breakfast yes. Friday Funny Buggers. But yes. uh, tell us a little bit about why you and Hannah have decided to create a show together rather than each doing something solo. Yeah, so basically Hannah and I were both preparing to do our own individual solo shows for 2020, the festival that was cancelled last minute. Um, and so we just, you know, for the, we were rehearsing and, and, and showing each other's stuff and did a few trial shows and it was just so much fun, really. And then we, and, and people really responded to our, like, chemistry, if you will, on stage when we did some sketches together just for the fun of it. And then it was just after, like, such a dense year, 2020, and, like, the uncertainty of, you know, you know what it would look like live shows coming back. We're just like, why do this alone? Like, if I could, you know, have the support and, and the fun of doing it with someone else, then let's do that. So we decided to join forces, um, which I'm really excited about. And also as well, I think that, like, I've grown up, like, watching, you know, like, Fab, or like I think it's really exciting as well when you see two performers, um, comedians in particular, like really having fun and playing on stage. And I just thought that would be, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to create after, um, yeah, like such a dense year. Well, given that last year was frankly quite shit for so many people, the yeah, idea of exactly. having fun again is, re I think, is so important and is and certainly as a concept really resonates with me because, let's face it, writing and putting on a comedy show, particularly a solo comedy show, is hard yeah. work. So the idea of yeah. making a show where, A, you're bouncing off somebody and have got their energy to help sustain you if you're feeling a bit mm. flat. And B, where is it when it's particularly when it's someone you like, someone you enjoy working with, and you can actually have fun together rather than it feeling like, oh God, another show tonight. I'm not sure if I'm ready. That kind of, that just that makes so much sense to me. Yes, absolutely. And I, I'm like a total people pleaser. Like I worry a lot about the audience as well in comedy. I'm, I'm so acutely aware of how nervous wracking it is for people to come and see it especially people who know and I'm just like if there's two of us and we're having fun it's just that much easier for people in the audience to 
relax. And that is honestly like the main driving force of this show was us like going, oh, like, do we remember how to do this? What is the creative process? You know, what what do we enjoy? And and kind of we've just been like, we've been just meeting up for the last couple of months in parks and community halls and just like trying to make each other laugh. And looking, like, kind of thinking about the themes we're bringing to, like, bringing to the stage, but also not overthinking it. We're just like, if this makes us laugh, hopefully this will tickle some other people and it'll just be a really swift 50 minutes of, I don't know, fun and ridiculousness. I'm all for a little bit of ridiculousness. Now, in terms of kind of the idea of the two of you working together, one of the things that intrigues me too is because you're bringing, I guess, different comedic forms and styles to the stage. You're primarily, I understand, a kind of a character-based comedy. Uh, And then Hannah is a Goliath-trained clown, but then also kind of brings improv in as well. So kind of the fusion of those, bouncing off, riffing off each other, uh, allowing space for each of your own different comedic styles to breathe but then seeing what happens when you fuse them together sounds really intriguing and really promising yeah it is it's it's really exciting like i mean i remember i saw hannah i've I've seen her about but i saw her fringe show a few years ago and she's just like she's incredibly funny but she's a very talented actress as well and it was just like it's 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 really exciting when you see a performer like that where you go, oh, I'm jealous. That was such a good show. I would love to work with them. So in terms of my point of view, yeah, like it's pushing me to another level really and um, different approaches and taking our ideas to the next level and, and hopefully as well just that play. The show definitely vibes a lot from the audience and I think we'll change night to night depending on how much people kind of want to lean in and, you know, Give us, there's not too much audience participation or anything like that. But there is, it's very much fueled off, like, I think, for the audience with us, which will be exciting as well. And it must be exciting for you as performers to be back in front of an audience because I know, having spoken to so many actors and dancers and all kinds of artists last year, A, being unable to do the thing that you love, the thing that gives your life meaning uh, to make art, and and B, being deprived of an audience because that the feedback loop of energy between audience and artist when a show is really firing is kind of... It it gives the performers extra life and it makes the, the, the experience for the audience so uplifting and positive. So... What's it like to be back on stage in front of live audiences again after the, the, the bin fire of 2020? Yes, I love that term, bin fire. Um, it, it's so exhilarating. It's really fun. And I definitely have a newfound appreciation for it. I remember the first lockdown when, because obviously the 2020 festival was cancelled last minute, you know, two weeks out from opening. I was thrilled. I mean, (laughs) not really, but, you know, that far out from the festival when you're kind of just trying to pull everything together, you're like, I'll do anything to get out of this. (laughs) But um, it was great during the lockdown to have that break to realise how much I really do miss that energy. Um, So, yeah, it's very exciting. And when people come along to see uh, Petnat and Hannah Chocolat, which is taking place at the Improv Conspiracies 
Theatre's Annex Space, which is in the Nicholas Building uh, yep. on 37 Swanson Street, Melbourne. So right in the heart of the CBD, just down the road yep. from the Town Hall. Easy to find. Um, what Very. are people going to... What, what can people expect? We've talked about that fusion of... Uh, the different kind of comedic styles. Um, how much has it fused to create a new whole, or will it be? I know a little bit of clowning, then a little bit of character, and then a little bit of clowning again. Yeah, I think that there's definitely. Um, it's mainly character sketches, but it's definitely been born out of playing with the clowning process, which was completely different to me. But I, I think there's definitely elements of clowning. But I think it would just be a whirlwind of. Characters, energy, you know, ranging from, like, soft, pleasure-seeking goblins to, you know, teachers preparing a speech night and upbeat 90s music. It's, it's just be a real jam-packed 50 minutes of fun. I think, and, and, and hopefully it's surprising. Well, surprising is good because it's one of the reasons why, particularly uh, by normally about the midpoint of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, I sometimes go, I don't think I want to go and see another stand-up. I want to go and see yes. something different because stand-up, there are, which is not to say that I dislike stand-up as a medium by any means. Good stand-up no. is fantastic, but it is also, there's a certain kind of structure and style that you can begin to expect, particularly after you've, you've seen 15, 20 stand-up yeah. acts within a, a week or two. So something mm-hmm. su- surprising, something that where I can sit there and go, I really don't know what's going to happen next, and God, I like that. Can it, yeah, that's, yes. S- sounds like it's going to be exactly fun. That's exactly what we're going for. Yes, I think it is. And like I was saying earlier, it is just designed to be fun. Like, you can kind of check in to check out. You, there's no... Yeah, you can just kind of take and leave what you like of the show. It moves really quickly. It's fast-paced. And, yeah, I think... I don't know. I'm still trying to, like, ponder. I'm like, what is what have we? What is this show that we're bringing, you know? I would love my psychologist to see it. could really <laughs> fast-track my progress. Because I'm like, what are people going to make of this? Um, but I think, ultimately, it's fun. And, yeah, and that idea of... Again, like I think about the audience so much, I always just want it to be moving for people and to time to feel like it's passing quickly. (laughs) I need to get better at selling this, don't I? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm just glad that you're thinking of the audience rather than than being, I don't know, one of those artists going, I'm making this for me. I don't care what anybody else thinks. (laughs) Kind of, I am the artist. They will appreciate my genius. And then you sometimes sit there going, God, this is self-indulgent twaddle. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm all about the audience. But no, it'll be, um, it'll be a real party. Now, I'll give the dates and details in just a moment. But before I do that, yeah. one of the things, given the scale of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, there's often mm. comedians that may fly under the radar that we don't hear about t- till it's too late. So I was wondering, would you like to recommend any Friends shows or any other shows of comedians that you think uh, Smart Arts listeners should check out as well as seeing... Pet Nat and Hannah Chocolat. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited to see a sketch duo called Wallalissa um, that are at Comedy Republic. I think they're going to be really uh, great. I'm also who you chatted with earlier, Claire Sullivan. I think she's amazing. I enjoy 
David Quirk. I love David Quirk uh, stuff. And I've seen Woa Lisa before and they're great. Yeah, aren't they brilliant? Oh, God, so many. Um, now I'm panicking. Oh, look, I think that's three recommendations from you, Woa Lisa, okay, Claire Sullivan and David Quirk. And that also yes. kind of some different styles of comedy there as well. Oh, so. Yes, also another one, um, Blake Everett and Oliver Coleman, really funny, Josh Glantz and Stuart Dalton. That's so many. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a lot to see. And particularly this year, it's an opportunity for the... to. It's a showcase of Australian talent, given that the internationals yeah. are all stuck at home. So particularly this year, I think it's an opportunity for people who love comedy but might normally go and play a safe bet and see the, the five or six international acts they try and see every year or every second year. This really is the year to just throw the net wide and go, here's an Australian comedian I've never seen or heard, never heard of, but hey, they kind of won Best Comedy at uh, Fringe World in Perth or uh, Fringe yeah. at, the, uh, at the Edge of the World or whatever, down in Hobart. I think I'm getting the name right. But yeah, see yeah. stuff, see new people, um, share the love and talk to complete strangers in your socially distanced queue and make recommendations to one another as well. That's something I love about the Comedy Festival. Here, here, Richard. I second all of that. And just open the program and go see something completely random. You know, in a, in a, a venue that's maybe not festival-managed, kind of in a further corner of the city and that's just exciting that's thrilling i'm looking forward even to doing that even if it's terrible <laughs> you know there'll be a story and also even if it is terrible and 90 percent chance 95 99 percent chance it won't be because comedians have oh, been that's so, sweet of you well because i'm just thinking, people have been working saving up their material for a year kind of a year and a yeah. half to do this so hopefully they've kind of hand-picked all the best bits and worked together new routines but even if it is terrible it's comedy it will be over in 50 to 55 minutes and then you move yep. on to the next show as a palate cleanser so take a punt exactly. see some stuff now uh pet nat and hannah chocolat uh you can catch at the nicholas building 37 swanson yep. street melbourne in the improv conspiracy theaters annex space tickets are 22 yep. to 28 bucks and performances are fridays saturdays and sundays at 9 yep. p.m so the 26th yep. and 8 p.m on sundays and 8 p.m on sundays because that traditional weird comedy festival quirk of people going oh yeah. but i may not want to stay up until 11 30 seeing live no. comedy on it uh, because i have to go to work the next day so uh you can catch uh petnat and hannah chocolat on the 26th, 27th and 28th of March, the 2nd, 3rd and 4th of April, the 9th, 10th, 11th of April and the 16th, 17th and 18th of April. Go to comedyfestival.com.au for details and to book tickets to uh, Pet Nat and Hannah Chocolat. I've been chatting to Nat Harris, one half of the show uh, which has been created with Hannah Camilleri, and it sounds fun. Really looking forward to seeing it. Nat, thanks so much for joining us. Triple R. Now, different theatre companies and different artists around the world have responded in different ways to having to make uh, pandemic-safe, COVID-safe work and having to program work at theatres in a way that ensures that should lockdown suddenly occur again for a week, uh, that a season and a show can continue in some way without being hugely disrupted. What the Malthouse Theatre have done is create their most ambitious work yet. Uh, one show that will, I understand, run for 
anything possibly for a couple of months, ideally. But it's immersive. It's creating uh, an entire world for the audience to explore. It's called Because the Night. And joining me on the line are two of the actors from the production. And unusually, they're both playing the same role. I'm joined by Kisro Jones-Chukur and Keegan Joyce. And Kisro, you're both playing Hamlet. Correct. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we've been double cast. Because of the long season, we're on until November, so we're splitting the responsibility. And not splitting the responsibility, and Keegan, does it also then mean that you're performing both in the same night? Because I understand that there are performances nightly at 6pm and then 8.30pm, and in between, COVID-safe cleaning will take place and so forth. So staggered audiences, staggered performers, and staggering the role. Yeah, yeah, very similar to that. We actually do a night on and night off, basically. So we come in and we'll do two shows one night and then the other cast will come in and do two shows. Uh, we've named the cast cast Audrey and cast Donna because there's a bit of a Twin Peaks kind of feel to the show. So with a nod to that, we are, I'm cast Audrey, Kiss Rose cast Donna. Hey. And uh, yeah, we're kind of taking our turns uh, playing Hamlet and getting angry every night. <laughs> <laughs> Does it mean then that, I guess because you're both playing the same role in, in the same production, even though not at the same time, what kind of creative challenges does that bring? Do, does it add a competitive edge that you both want to, I don't know, out-melancholy Dane the other, for example? Or <laughs> No, no, I think it um, just goes down to how you, you want to represent the Hamlet. I think the Hamlets are both very similar but they're flavoured with Keegan and flavoured with Kiss Rose. Yeah, different flavours. Mm. Um, <laughs> now, it's actually really interesting. I was chatting to Matt Lutton, the director, the other day, and uh, he was talking about how the casts are very similar in some ways and very, very different in other ways. Mm. And um, they're, they're, obviously there's no kind of competition. It's really trying to make the show as best as possible. And even though um, one decision might feel right to one actor, the other decision might feel different or better to another actor. And that kind of, uh, we rehearsed separately and it was all about conviction, you know, whatever you can do with conviction, I think, is the best decision. Now, we should also note that this is not a straightforward production of Hamlet by any means. Yes, it's set in... uh in, what, Elsinore, uh, which is a logging town rather than a, a crumbling castle. Uh, and it, it's kind of inspired by Hamlet rather than being a, a literal straightforward production of the play because there's a, a brand new script which Matt Lutton, your director who you mentioned, has helped write together with Kamara Bell-Wikes and Ra Chapman. Kisro, in terms of the... the the tone of the piece. Presumably audiences attending will get a sense of Hamlet-esque behaviour, but mm. they will not be watching by any means an, a, even a literal adaptation of the play. Very much so. It's, um, it's basically completely contemporary and some of the aspects of the story has been <laughs> greatly modified. It's a little unrecognisable, but the kind of the mythos of Hamlet is still there. And, you know, depending on who you see, you'll get a different flavour of the story. And, Keegan, it's, as we've said, this is an immersive production. So the idea is that the audience can wander around and experience the show on their own terms. There's the thing that amazes me about what I know about this show, having spoken to a couple of the designers, is that the familiar theatres inside the Malthouse 
have been subdivided and new rooms created, new corridors connecting the theatre, running through the car park have been created. And I'm told that those rooms have a character all of their own. So you could almost choose to have the story told without actors if you want to, if you just want to walk from room to room. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think that would be a really interesting way to try and experience the story. Um, so the story begins and you are the audience is kind of separated into three groups. One begin in the royal office, one begin in the royal bedroom, and the other in the gymnasium. <laughs> and uh, the the... Uh, audience are wearing kind of uh, capes and masks and including kind of like a head mask, uh, not just for COVID safe reasons, but also to kind of give them an anonymity and a ghost-like presence in the space so that they are kind of part of the experience themselves. Mm. And you're right, like the Malt House is kind of unrecognisable. It was really weird coming in for me. We, um, I've worked in the Merlin before and uh, the Merlin and the Beckett, you, you kind of, they've become one, the two theatres, and uh, they're kind of cut into 32 rooms. So you as an audience can wander through, um, follow an actor if you like. Um, you can touch things but not take. So, you know, you, please can, yeah, please <laughs> you can go through a desk, you can uh, look at a newspaper clipping, and, yeah. and you can follow the story and kind of uncover your version of the truth, which I think is the, the most exciting part about this show. There was an article in The Age uh, just a few days ago written by uh, an excellent arts journalist and uh, old friend of mine, John Bailey. Uh, he interviewed uh, Belinda uh, McClory, who's playing one of the characters in the production as well. And she spoke about the fact that while she's performing, that audience members could even choose to come and lie on the bed with her or sit at her feet and uh, as she performs. What are the risks involved with this kind of immersive theatre, particularly if the audience are being encouraged to lay on a bed next to a performer and because they are anonymous with the masks you've described, that could empower some perhaps unpleasant behaviour as certainly has been reported uh, uh, from performers in Sleep No More in New York. Well, there are, there are definitely more rules uh, than in Sleep No More. We, so we have, there are three rules for the audience. Uh, no phones, no speaking and no touching the performers. So whilst, uh, yeah, Belinda was talking about how there is um, an invitation almost for you to become part of the space. And I think what she was trying to say is that, you know, when you, you, you could be kind, you can, you can really see the performers uh, up close. And uh, we were talking to some audience members recently about their experience of the show. And one of the things that they love is sometimes, um, you know, most of the audience will leave a room and it'll just be one audience member and one actor in a room. We have a room called the bunker. And in the bunker, Polonius sits there contemplating his next move. And she said she absolutely loved just watching this actor stay on the whole time and contemplate. She felt like she was getting a really special performance. So I think that's what the invitation is about, a less to touch yeah. uh, and more to kind of um, experience the intimacy of performance. Kisra, in terms of the challenge that then that presents as an actor, having to remain on the whole time, unlike a regular production where you finish a scene, you might go off stage and kind of relax, grab a glass of water, switch off for a moment, wait for your next cue, which might be 20 minutes later. Kind of the idea of having to, <laughs> to, to stay 
on the whole time uh, in a production like this, knowing that an audience member could wander in at any moment. Talk to us about that kind of challenge. Does it make this a more a more challenging, a more emotionally and physically draining role to play than a, a more tr- straight version of Hamlet? I wouldn't say it's so much so challenging. I remember Belinda telling me that it's just a different way of telling a story. And for me, being on for one hour and a bit, it actually helps the story, I think, in developing where the character's going and where the story is going. It kind of builds this, you know, their emotional arc, their their, their story. So um, it's quite invigorating, actually. In regards to being draining, there is a point where Keegan and I uh, do some physical work that does get, get us a little drained, but that's probably the only draining part about it. I reckon being on is quite invigorating. There's a gym, so we use the gym. So it's uh, you don't have to go to the gym after work. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be extremely fit. <laughs> now, the, there's a lot of things that are remarkable about Because the Night, the sheer scale of the the number of rooms that have been built. Mark Horwell was telling me that it began with effectively the the, the team at the Malthouse Workshop having to build 600 metres of wall so that they could start erecting walls and creating new rooms and new spaces within the theatre. The the fact that of the 32 or 33 rooms that uh, Marg and Matilda Woodruff, the uh, uh, associate uh, set designer for interiors that they have Ooh. each kind of uh, created effectively 33 different rooms each with kind of their own atmosphere and environment that's that's far more kind of scenes in in an average play for example so this is a work of significant scale uh, created oh. and not created by one of the largest theater companies in the company like the MTC but created by the malt house so that is really ambitious and as we've heard earlier it's going to be running for months on End. So that's also ambitious. Kisro, this sounds really like a very unique theatrical production and realization and a work of huge ambition by the Malthouse team. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think it's a, it's a production that will serve the people of Melbourne in, in many ways, not only entertainment, but, um, you know, from what we had last year, kind of satisfying that need of, um, of, of going out and, and, and seeing theatre and the work that's been done here is just phenomenal. Yeah, no, it's, it, there's something really special about the way Malthouse thinks about theatre. And, you know, they are known as one of the most kind of ambitious theatre companies in Australia. And I haven't been excited about theatre, until, like, in a long time. This has made me so excited about what is happening in Australia and what's happening with new work in Australia. Oh, it's brilliant. Like, I... I want to see this yeah. <laughs> multiple times. It's we'll a, get the chance to as well. It certainly sounds like the kind of show that will reward multiple kind of visits because you would get to see oh, it yeah. with a different cast, as we've heard, uh, and each, even if you see it with the same cast, uh, there's kind of no guarantee that you'll see it in the same order, that you'll experience it in the well, same way. I think it'd be really difficult to try and see it the same way twice. Because it, there is it, the, the space is kind of like a labyrinth, so trying to manoeuvre yourself around that in the exact same way, you know, it took us a good week to get into the space, um, and we have maps as well, <laughs> uh, to get into the space and kind of figure out where we're going, which way we need to walk, how quickly. So, and the, the story un, unravels in real time. Yeah. So, um, you know, there are multiple scenes happening at the same time. Mm. And then between those scenes, there might be, you know, several hours of 
kind of theoretical time passing, but the uh, the, the multiple scenes at one time is such a, an amazing thing to to feel the energy of that in the space. And the the more you know, the more I guess a well you get a well rounded sense of the epic that is because the night and what the town of Elsinore uh, has to offer and what what is actually going on. Yeah. Yeah, the excitement of the story. And the added excitement, I guess, is that for you as actors, I mean, every performance is different. Uh, if, even in a more traditional version of Hamlet in a traditional shorter season, every performance is different because your fellow actors will choose to respond to your uh, delivery of a line in a subtly different way each night and you don't know how they're going to respond and so forth. But for a work like this, when you don't know kind of what the audience are going to be doing, uh, how it's going to play out, yes, you have a structure and I presume at a certain time you know you have to go from room A to room kind of Z or whatever it might be. But this really feels in terms of personal satisfaction for you as actors this sounds like it's also taking things up a notch oh yeah for sure and it's also for me it's a a chance to play a little with that relationship between the audience and the actor because normally they're just sitting in seats and there's that relationship so now that they're moving around we have a different kind of relationship i remember it was actually quite funny i was doing uh, one of the scenes i do with uh, belinda and in my peripheral vision i was in the gym I saw one of the audience members grab a paddle from, from the from the cupboard and just start waving it around. And I was like, oh, okay, don't get distracted. Just keep looking. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So there's that was fun in itself. And sometimes they, they can pick up your props without knowing that they're your props and working around that. And a lot of the time, God bless them, the audience members are really well behaved and they respect that something is happening. And so if we come up to our spot, they... They move away, so it's you know, it's quite it's quite fun in that way too. I'm really intrigued to see Because the Night, presented by Malthouse Theatre, on now and showing for quite a few months until uh, was it until November? You said. Yeah, we're we're just kind of uh, releasing tickets as they come, so I think they're on sale until mid-May at the moment, and uh, you know hopefully. Uh It'll sell out again, and we can can we can make a full season out of this. Fantastic! Well, it's great to have to know that you've got such reg- after the bin fire of last year to go. I have <laughs> I have work lined up, not just for uh, for one season, but for ideally, well, the equivalent of several seasons, even though it's a one show. So, Malthouse Theatres. Oh, yeah, we're very grateful. And also, I just wanted to give a shout out uh, to uh, a couple of people at the Malthouse who don't necessarily always get acknowledged. We've talked about about kind of Matt Lutton, we've talked about the writers, we've acknowledged some of your fellow performers. I've mentioned uh, Matilda Woodruff and Marg Horwell, the interior designers. I also wanted to acknowledge Dale Ferguson, the set designer who did the architecture of the set and uh, helped make all those walls, and uh, the oh, yeah. the workshop team at the Malthouse, led uh, by, I believe it's Goff, is the, in charge mm, yes, of the workshop Goff. there, because uh, it sounds like they have done an enormous amount of work to realise this production. There is an incredible amount of people here who are all yeah. lovely and um, salt-of-the-earth legends. Yeah. And their kind of work um, ethic and, you know, willingness to make this brilliant. This is a hard show anyway, and 
lots of sets, usually, uh, you know, held together by duct tape, and this has to work structurally because audience members can push it. Mm. So, uh, you know, they've stepped up to the challenge. The stage management gaggle, as we call them. We love them. Uh, we love the gaggle. Led by Tia Clark. You know, they are a phenomenal group of people, and every single person working on this show is so special. And I just want to quickly say that that is what is wonderful about Malthouse Theatre, you're right. Not only have they created a great piece of theatre, but look how many people they're employing. Look oh. how many people that after the bin fire of last year, <laughs> we can call this place home for a, a good few months. Well said. If you want a book for Malthouse Theatre's Because the Night, uh, you can jump online, malthousetheatre.com.au. Uh, there are performances of Because the Night uh, nightly at 6pm and 8.30pm from Tuesdays through to Sundays and a matinee at 1pm on Saturdays. Tickets, given the scale of the production, uh, don't be surprised that it may be a little bit more expensive than an average theatre show, but 120 bucks uh, or $60 concession plus a booking fee for this uh, richly immersive and genuinely intriguing production, which I'm seeing in about a week and a half, and I'm really, really keen to see it. And if people want a bit more information about it, I definitely recommend John Bailey's article, Audience, please don't take your seats. There's room on my bed that was published in the age a few days ago and if you want to know more about the design side of things I've written a piece for Arts Hub called How Stage Designers Transform the Mundane into the Extraordinary which will uh, give you a sense of just some of the scale of the show but tickets as I said malthousetheatre.com.au because the night is now showing at uh, the Malthouse I've been chatting with the two actors who are playing Hamlet in the on the alternate nights Keegan Joyce and Kisro James Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. Andrea Lane uh, is the co founder of the School for Untourists. Andrea, what is the School for Untourists? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Oh, look, it's been a, a five year journey to get here, I suppose, to, to call ourselves a School for Untourists. But um, a few years ago, we, we put in a small town transformation um, application, which we won to build a floating art studio on Lake Tyres, which is out here in East Gippsland. A beautiful lake that's uh, in in beautiful condition, and uh, we were very conscious of wanting that residency to be an asset to the community and to to the environment and to the arts. So um, since that time, we we built, we built the floating studio, and we've had a lot of requests from artists to to be um, resident on the boat. So all of those conversations, all of those artists, all of that local knowledge, I guess, has informed us to know that we have something really special out here. It's often undervalued by the normal processes of business and uh, economics. Um, so we've set about to shift the economics, I guess, of arts and environment. Um, and because tourism is, is key out here in East Gippsland and we want tourists who, who can tap into what, what we're discovering... Um, we want to make a social enterprise out of that using the floaters as the core um, asset in that 
plant. Now, I heard about float a couple of years ago. I didn't know it was uh, a, a result of the small town transformations grants uh, administered by Regional Arts Victoria so mm. uh, on, uh, for, on behalf of the state government. So that is something I've just learned already, so that's fantastic. <laughs> but the idea of a floating artist's residence and studio was something that, when I heard about it, excited me enormously because uh, mm. not only the idea of... Because uh, often artist residencies and well, artist studios, for example, might be relatively cramped in a kind of the cliche being in an inner city warehouse, which is about to be knocked down, turned into apartments. So you have to move to a studio uh, much further out in the suburbs, for example. Mm-hmm. But having one in regional Victoria that encourages people to literally to sit, relax, to be uh, to to give them uh, to allow them to step out of the the immediacy of day-to-day life in a crowded city by being on a floating studio mm-hmm. on a lake in East Gippsland automatically encourages artists to to slow down, which can only help the creative process. And then presenting uh, this uh, an event as part of Melbourne Design Week, uh, encouraging people to to visit Lake Tyres and you're offering what a paddling tour of the lake uh, mm-hmm. a talk on float the studio residency houseboat and then mm-hmm. a participatory performance from the kayak orchestra nothing like an ambitious project to um, make our mark I suppose you know look we're really tough to be part of the program and, and we like to think that what we're doing attracted that interest. Yeah, I think to be an artist here on float, you do need to be a bit adventurous. You, you can only access the float by kayak at the moment. The lake's very high. You, you want to come prepared for that. And for, have a, for having a personal philosophy of wanting to do no harm to the lake, you know, that's really important that people are here to observe the birds, the jellyfish, the fish that jump underneath the boat and perhaps keep you awake all night. You know, just the vagaries of um, um, relatively isolated, like we're surrounded by good people. It's a beautiful community that looks after the float. Um, the neighbours are great. We're not way up in the wilderness. Um, and we have a great environmentalist who lives next door to us who makes sure that we're always on our um, best environmental behaviour, which is great. He's become one of our best ambassadors. So, you know, all of that, I guess, has informed the, the talk that Josephine Jacoby will do on the boat um, when people get there because she's the one who takes most responsibility for the compost loos, the grey water, the collection of the rainwater, the solar, and she's uh, born and raised here and lived her entire life here on Lake Tyres, so she's very passionate about what we're doing here, and she's a great artist as well on top of all that. So um, she does the induction when artists come here because they have to be, you know, um, given a, a welcome and given some tips on, on you know, how to, how to be a great artist in residence. And those tips, as you say, go beyond... Mm-hmm be here and please make great art but respect the environment you're on Gurnai Kurnai country we don't want you polluting the lake we don't want you polluting the waterways Uh, and presumably then as they like as you arrive at any residency whether it's in Paris or at Lake Tyres you need to be talked through kind of guidelines the the space that you're going to be inhabiting and the space that you need to leave as pristine as you found it uh, for the next artist who comes in. Exactly, you know, and I think that's the kind of artist we're attracting, which just fills us with so much happiness, you know, like the artists come, they don't necessarily have to produce a body of work, it may be that they're just there to do some research, relax, whatever, um, and, and be inspired, but, you know, we've had 
Cameron Robbins was one of our first artists-in-residence who we've had a long association with, who everyone seems to know really well. He makes sculptures that respond to the environment. I know Cameron and, and have indeed yeah. interviewed him on the show <laughs> several times, so yes. Yeah, yeah. he's he's one of our best artists-in-residence, you know, just so engaged with the community and, and the environment. And that makes a really great hook for, for people's interest in what we're doing. That it, It's attracted an artist of that calibre who keeps supporting us and sends great artists here. You know, that makes us a very international kind of destination because his reach is so well known. But, you know, Harry Sadler, uh, who wrote The Eastern Curlew, I'm just not quite sure if I got that title right, but, uh, you know, a, a best-selling author who um, observes birds, he stayed and recorded the, the sounds of the bats that were, you know, inhabiting the, the nearby banks of, of the lake. Avita Reed, a lot of people know, who's doing the PhD on water at the moment. You know, they're just all, and, and of course, Lycan Kelp, who's, who's, you know, key to all of this because she came early on in, as a curator in residence and then brought lots of like-minded artists down that she knew. And that urban contemporary connection has done wonders for the, the profile of what we're doing. You know, I guess my job here is kind of to connect the locals and the local knowledge and, and, and the resources around here, but I rely on great artists to come and tell me what, what art we need to make and to connect that to, to people like this you know, Melbourne Design Week project. Um, you know, I'm sure that's really put us on the map in, in those ways. Now, so Lycan is the one who's curated the, the orchestra, so um, sorry she's not here to talk about it now. That's okay. But so what I, I might do now is kind of split our conversation in two parts in some ways. So if people want to learn more about float, and in particular artists who are listening are thinking an artist residency on a floating studio on Lake Tyres in East Gippsland, I totally need to know more. What you need to do is yep. go to www.float3909.com. Yep. So that's float and then the numerals 3909.com. I, I'm assuming that's your postcode there. Um, yep. uh, and that will tell you more about float and applications are open for the artist in residence program and now uh waterfront floating with school for untourists this is happening on thursday the 1st of april from 10 a.m to 1 p.m and then again on saturday the 3rd of april from 10 a.m to 2 p.m and this is being presented by uh, open house melbourne as part of melbourne design week waterfront is a series of 33 events over 11 days uh, from the 26th of March until the 5th of April. And so this idea of kind of uh, engaging with Melbourne waterways and not just Melbourne waterways, but others elsewhere in the state. And I believe this is the first time that kind of Lake Tyres has been kind of, uh, and East Gippsland has been kind mm. of connected with the, the waterfront program. The idea of encouraging visitors to not just visit the lake, but kayak over it, learn more about the environment, learn more, I imagine, about its Aboriginal history, the fact that it, um, the mission that was there from the late... 1800s and was in fact I believe Australia's first successful Aboriginal rights land claim as well when the and the title deeds handed over to the Gurnai Kurnai owners so a really significant history there and a wonderful opportunity to to kayak to paddle to go on to the the studio and hear a talk uh, and then as we've said, have a kayak orchestra. And the idea of music floating across water is such a, a beautiful experience in and of itself, let alone with the other elements that are being offered as part of the program. <laughs> You've summed it up well. I'm glad you were able to say all that because um, that's, yeah, that's it exactly. And, of course, there is much more happening 
um, you know, in Lakes Entrance and other places nearby. But yeah, uh, and in fact, the second, the day after, oh, sorry, the day before, our tour is a day at the Glawak head office, you know, walking on country, walking to country, and some great talks there from the Ganakuno um, administration there. So it's, um, it's an amazing program, and we're very chuffed to be part of all of that. Um, and yeah, you've described it very well. I'm glad you know so much about the area. <laughs> uh, I'm an ex-Gippsland boy, so that kind of okay. helps. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so for more information about uh, Waterfront floating with school for untourists, uh, then jump online. Go to www.openhousemelbourne.org, uh, and once you're on the front page of the site, you can just click on the uh, the details in the program for Waterfront, which is happening from the 26th of March until the 5th of April. So uh, celebrating the waterways of Melbourne and beyond as part of Melbourne Design Week 2021. So that's openhousemelbourne.org for more details. Uh, if you want to uh, kayak, visit, float. The the floating artist residency and see the performance and uh, there are two different uh, versions of this event one of them uh, on Thursday the 3rd of April does not include access to board float whereas on Thursday the 1st of April it does uh, and there are price differences to take that into account but then if uh, you want to know more specifically about float the floating artist residency uh, on Lake Tyres, then go to www.float3909.com to find out more. And I can imagine a lot of artists I know, particularly because residency programs internationally are unavailable. I suspect Float is going to be in high demand this year, Andrea. It already is, I have to say, which is why I'm trying to encourage our local um, government uh, council to think about expanding the residency network based on the success of float, you know, so that's kind of our next iteration of this is to say we've discovered lots of places that are almost equally fabulous, that are underused and being inspired by, you know, Renew Renew Newcastle and places like that, we think there's probably a next version of residencies ahead. Fantastic. I look forward to finding out more. I've been chatting to Andrea Lane, the co-founder of the School of Untourists. Andrea, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast. And if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. 